Hello, OpStars. I'm Ashley, producer at the OpStars podcast. We hope you'll join us and the rest of the community at the 7th Annual OpStars Conference on September 21st and 22nd in San Francisco during Dreamforce. We've been virtual the last two years, but we are so excited to be back in person at the San Francisco Mint this year. Go to ops-stars.com to find out more about the speakers, sessions, and click on register now to join us. And by the way, it's free. I hope to see you there. There's a major shift happening in the way operations is viewed because historically we've been a cost center, a part of the business that did things to reduce costs or improve efficiency where what I'm seeing now is operations as a competitive advantage. Welcome to the OpStars podcast. We host authentic conversations with revenue operations professionals running the show behind the scenes, holding things together, doing whatever it takes to innovate to solve problems, build processes, and manage the data to build a modern revenue engine that powers a great buyer experience. I'm your host, Rachel McBrarity. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome today. I'm Rachel McBrady, the CCO of Lean Data, and I'm joined by Ross Nibber, Director of Operations at Toast. Welcome, Ross. Hey, Rachel. Thanks so much for having me. Ross has been at Toast for nearly six years, having moved from a Director of Business Development to Director of Revenue, Operations, and Strategy, and now to his current role as the Director of Operations. Toast provides a restaurant platform that helps restaurants to adapt and take control and get back what they do best, building the businesses they love. Ross started his career as a prep cook and then pivoted into sales and from there into an operations development and leadership. He's a self-confessed lover of unpicking the puzzles of scaling business and empowering frontline players to do their jobs more efficiently. And he's been recognized as one of the top 10 sales development leaders in the world. Today, we're going to speak about how you built your team at Toast and get some tips from you to learn how we can successfully hire and train a high-performing group of operators, which is super valuable in an environment where it's hard to find enough skilled people to fill these roles. Before we get to that, Ross, I'd love for you to share with us some highlights of your career journey and what led you to your role at Toast. Yeah, of course. And Rachel, thanks so much for having me today. This is going to be a fun topic and one that I wish there was more content on. You know, as a formal sales leader, I get inundated still with like people trying to tell me how to train sales reps effectively. And I am still waiting for the brilliant prospecting email about great operations training because I'm not sure it exists quite yet. Look, taking a step back, my career journey has been a little bit of a crooked one. As you mentioned, I started in restaurants and originally was a, a prep cook. You know, I can still make a hell of a pizza, but have served as a general manager and kitchen manager before I got into the startup and technology spaces. Ultimately, over the course of that career, I've had the opportunity to help build a lot of companies from their early stage up to scale or unfortunately watch them fall apart and have done that from a variety of leadership roles. You know, whether we're talking about general manager of a pizza place or a director of business development, or now as a director of operations. You know, how you find and build those high-performing teams, set norms, create operating principles that make them successful has really been a cornerstone of my success. Because ultimately, when I think about any team, right, it's a series of processes that need to flow seamlessly into one another. And if you step away from the way we as technology and operations leaders 
often think about it in Salesforce or SaaS and all the complication and go back to my roots to think about it as a bunch of people trying to make a pizza successfully or deliver that kind of experience, it can help you find ways of, of really simplifying down what am I really asking my staff to do and how do we take all of the blockers out of that? Oh, I love that. So the Toast journey has been an amazing one. Rapid growth, helping your retail customers through a pandemic, going public, there's been these major stages and catalysts that have prompted you to really evolve your thinking about your staffing and skills. Is is that fair to say? Be fair to say. <laughs> and I think it's it's not just a nature to the growth journey of Toast, but also how different kinds of leadership require you to think about training and your staff differently. You know, again, my journey through Toast, I've held three distinct roles. I was originally the director of business development, hired to build and scale the outbound, inbound, and enterprise prospecting team. I then ran revenue operations, which was basically in our sales operations function, owning a lot of the lead through contracting mechanics for the business. And now in my role today, one of the directors of central operations, I'm not the director of operations, just to clarify, there are many of us across the business. I lead our special projects team, right, where we work on massive innovation initiatives that could meaningfully block the future of scale at Toast. Think of transformation projects like our international launch, master data management initiatives, and major SaaS procurements. Those staffs are fundamentally different from one another. And I think that as a leader is coming into place and trying to think about how do you build the right team, you've kind of, again, got to go back to what are you asking these people to do? Because as a director of business development, you're training entry-level sellers how to handle objections, be on the phones, work in a part of professional environment. They're very tactical skills. That's really similar to when I ran revenue operations at Toast. Because again, I was hiring people and teaching them how to do a subset of tasks, things like data management or tool administration, onboarding tasks. This role today, leading strategic projects, is less, can I teach someone how to do a specific thing? And more, can I give them the space to think about a problem and set the right expectation? And those styles of leadership of, am I hiring somebody who's doing a tactical job where they need to do a subset of things every single day versus am I trying to train somebody how to be a problem solver? I feel like that differentiates the style of leadership and teams I've worked on more than the function of our scam because those teams still exist at Toast. We still have tactical teams that need to show up and do work every day. There's just, I think, a little bit more of these kinds of strategic roles in the business than when I first joined a few years ago. And I think those lines are blurrier at an earlier stage. Like More leaders are asked to do both the tactical and strategic work than an organization functioning at our scale. Does that make sense, Rachel? It does, and it aligns to other things I've been hearing about the evolution of operations to play a more strategic role that requires, I've heard it kind of framed as maybe like a product development or product management mindset, which is how do you do the design thinking? How do you problem solve? How do you understand what it is that you're trying to accomplish and then build capabilities to do it? You need a team that's going to think about problem solving and building capabilities, not just running the business. And that's that's critical. I completely agree. I'd also just add to that that there's a major shift happening in the way operations is viewed. Because historically, we've been a cost center, a part of the business that did things to reduce costs or improve efficiency, where what I'm seeing now is operations as a competitive advantage. What my team can do is provide a one-to-pack that increases the unit economics of any team we touch or work with. And that how, as leadership teams, we work together to craft a strategy that takes into account both the business objectives, 
the staffing and tactical requirements and the operational and technology needs that will make that strategy more efficient has to be a more collaborative process than I think leadership teams are fully trained to think about. And it's going to be a very interesting transformation over the coming years as we both see, I think, a a larger emphasis on this kind of operations planning as part of execution planning, but also, I think, a real and growing real from chief executive officers and COO that the people that do this kind of work are going to make or break that strategy, right? If you don't know how to actually deliver the infrastructure, you can't scale that part of the business. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see how that continues to play out. I know we're here to talk about training the people to do that kind of strategic work. But again, I think there's like a market thing happening. There's a real need for how do we get more people to be that strategic partner for your, your senior most players in the business. The rise of this notion of revenue operations, I think, is kind of been done a disservice by the, hey, it's combining these roles together into one team. But, you know, what you're what talking about is truly what needs to be put together to help the company to think about, think about accomplishing their strategies for growth, problem solving and building the systems to do that. And I think that's truly the power of a focus on revenue said, versus cost savings. You really do have to think about how you're going to grow and scale. Not just this this focus on revenue, right, versus cost savings. It's a focus on efficiency and building for scale. We, as business leaders, often have grand aspirations for how quickly we want our businesses to grow. And one of the biggest things I've seen stop that is that the operating systems of the business won't scale with it. And with just a little bit more forethought going into the process and a little more partnership, you know, you can design a program that lets BDRs scale up to far higher staffing levels with much higher lead flows or sales teams manage their pipelines more efficiently or that onboarding teams manage their projects or cases or whatever the problem you're facing. That joint partnership is about keeping that efficiency in your business as it continues to grow. And with a market focus on profitability right now and not just growth at all expense, it's only doubling down this like we are a part of not just growing that revenue, but doing it in a way that's responsible. Yeah, I think you bring the best of both worlds together. <laughs> One would hope. <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually been very, very lacking capability in companies as we think about operations being built out for supply chain and the Six Sigma and everything else applied everywhere else in the business. It's about time that we started to think about operating and, and helping the front lines to improve. Okay, that is a, a great setup for talking about hiring and building out your team. What are some of the ways that we can think about finding the right talent? It's a big question. I think that the first thing that teams need to do to do this successfully is get really into the weeds of what are you trying to accomplish with this position. And uh, there's a lot of different possible answers to that as you're building out your operations team. But in particular, I would focus in on is this a is this a project or is this a program? And what I mean by that is a, a project we're going to do once. And a program is a strategy that we need to run over and over again. Right. And I'll, I'll use an example here because I think it helps everybody kind of think it through. Master data management, right? Data quality initiatives. Some of them show is close to your heart. Those are programs, right? It's not one tool or one piece of technology. You again and again are going to need to revise what you're building and how you're building it. You need a leader for that. Implementing a tool is a project. You're going to do it once and then it's going to just kind of hang out and be done. And I've seen a lot of teams fall into the trap of their hiring operations talent to run a project. But that job kind of runs out. It runs out of complexity and it doesn't actually give somebody creative scope because we're a strategic partner. 
If I hire you and I say, your job is to do this specific thing, it doesn't give you a lot of room to influence how we do that. As opposed to the second version of saying, the goal is this, this idea in the business, this program, this strategy, this area we need to build out. And Rachel, I'm going to hire you, and I'm not telling you how we get that done, but this is what success means. One, you're going to build resilience and long-term success. You're going to have operators that really understand the business goal that they're driving towards, and an executive team that understands what that person is trying to really accomplish in the various ways they can get there, as opposed to tightening success and failure down to a point where, like, is it actually going to get to the business outcomes? And are you hiring somebody with enough space in the first place to be a strategic partner, or are they going to be stuck in tactics from the jump? And that definition of like, hold on, am I hiring somebody that's going to fit into one of these? And particularly as I'm putting together a program, have I defined success or failure in the program in a way that gives that person the space? Right. Again, to use an example, like if you're writing a job description, like your job is to implement this tool, that's not a program. Right. And you need to go back to the drawing board and say, like, what does this person actually need to do for the business to be successful? Define the job that way. And that's not to say there aren't a deep need for tactical operators who are going to be there to manage your information, train your teams, update records, do data. Like, this work is super important. I am not here to say that you don't need those people. But it's a different hiring persona. Because to your question before around how do you then go out and find these people? If you need a tactical operator, you need hard skills. Right? You want somebody who has administered that tool before, that has done data loads, that has the attention to detail and the proven track record of doing this kind of work. You can train people to do those same things. You just need to make sure you have a good process defined internally. For the latter, I don't think you're hiring for a specific skill. You're hiring for a mindset. You're looking for somebody who can communicate with both the technical stakeholders that are part of these programs and understand how to build technology responsibly and can also sit down with executive leaders and understand what are their business priorities and goals, help transform those into systems and requirements that that technical team can help you design and build the features for, and push back on those executive leaders when they might need help understanding the best way or approach to build technology in a responsible way. That's that different skill set. And again, it's not about a fluency in, I know how Salesforce works, or I know how NetSuite works, or Workday, or ERP, or SAP, or whatever, right? It's a, pro to, your, to again, still line from you. It's a product owner mentality, right? I understand the objective of my customer. I understand the technology resources I have at my disposal, and I'm going to prioritize the things that solve the biggest problems in front of us. And you're looking for people who can think that way and describe two times they've had success in meeting with a leader and turning that vision into a real reality and navigating the very uncomfortable persnickety conversations that come with that, right? Because we've got as much of a diplomat skill set as we do a technical operator or strategic leader. Fantastic. Tell us what your team structure look like. I'm curious how your team looks. Yeah. I'm going to speak more broadly about central operations at Toast because there are a variety of teams and I'd love to talk about what's common between us and then what's a little bit different. The thing that's common is the levels that we use. Analyst, lead, senior lead, manager, senior manager, director, right? What we try to make sure of is that people are being hired into positions that make sense for how much of a project can they own. Where a more junior member of our team can do requirements gathering for a part of a project, but they can't own an entire program. A manager should be able to handle a program, right, end-to-end -end and all the complexity and leaders that are involved. And a director should probably be able to handle many programs and navigate between the complexity of different groups of people who have different priorities. But that way of understanding how much work are they taking on, how broad is that work, and what's the relative complexity level is going to help place people 
into programs where they make sense. So that whether we're talking about, you know, Bethany Prettyman, who runs, is our director of go to market central operations, the managers on her team are owning major programs, like our sales organization or our marketing organization, in the same way the people on my team are owning programs like the international launcher MDM. Right. And so there's a commonality on, of that scale, but you're still creating a lot of space for them to understand, like, where does their job start and stop? And how can they be successful? The question of title, though, is one that continues to dog our organization. So if anyone listening to this podcast has a great suggestion on what do you call these internal product owners, I am all ears. Like, we have called them, like, the internal title right now is Central Operations Manager, right? My team sometimes goes by scale operations and innovation, but we're still figuring it out. And I don't think there's a name for this kind of, again, internal product leadership serving as that that conduit between executive functions and technical teams that's so familiar in an R&D org, I don't think it really has a name yet. And like, we call it revenue operations, we call it central operations, we call it a lot of things. But at some point, we as a, a operations community kind of need to agree what we're going to call ourselves so that we can all start recruiting from one another because it's not a very big community of people either right now. Yeah, you just mentioned you have another team focused on the go-to-market operations. Give us an understanding of the team that you are running and are there other operations teams at Toast and how do you work together? Maybe I'll take a step back and help you understand the org chart of our business a little bit more. Central Operations is a part of Enterprise Applications Technologies or the Office of the CIO. It encompasses the six teams that own our internal systems and work to support them. We have business systems that owns tools like Salesforce and NetSuite, IT operations that owns things like Slack and Google, and data infrastructure platform that owns Snowflake and Looker. We have our business enterprise architecture team, our PMO, and then central ops. And we think of ourselves as, again, the product arm of that entire engineering group, where we have various directors that own the relationships to specific executive functions in the business. Go-to-market, CS, and GA. My team is the special projects team that deals with big and nebulous problems that span all of those functions and don't fit nicely into one of those buckets. To your question, how do we all collaborate together? The owners of those specific groups really work on roadmap priorities from their team. They meet regularly with the executive leadership groups to help understand what is your vision, what are all the things that you need to get done with these engineering resources we have at our disposal, working directly with their in-department operations group that own their immediate day-to-day tasks and technology to make sure that we have a deployment plan and enablement plan for these tools and then work it through the software development lifecycle to deploy it. The team that I'm leading, again, we interface with those central operations groups to make sure we know how to change manage these big initiatives in their teams. But depending on the initiative, sometimes our resources are ring-fenced and completely different than the way that these other teams are functioning. But often we do have to collaborate. But that idea of how do we basically put a product owner directly in charge of each major functional executive group and then their department leaders is the model we're trying to use to create a matrixed organization that gives us both accountability to this centralized team that owns all the tech and needs an environmental strategy that works for everybody. And then the direct line to these teams that also have requests and builds that need to be prioritized against each other. Because like ultimately, we're kind of the gatekeeper. There is tons of different teams across Toast that need these resources. And we need to work with them to understand the relative priority, help their leaders then meet and discuss which of these should actually be above the fold, because we can't build all of it. And that ruthless prioritization is a big part of how we all work to make sure that we're protecting that engineering team 
from the decision-making process, right? They need to stay heads down on the actual work. So we've taken over that load of requirements gathering, design, et cetera. Can I clarify that all, Rachel? I'm happy to spend more time on our oh, work that, chart. That's very helpful. And really, just so that we're understanding as you're looking to, to hire into these roles, you know, where they fit in the organization, because there's lots of different operations structures out there. Let's get back to hiring and training those individuals. As you think about staffing your team and, you know, you're looking for a skill set that really is, you know, able to to kind of, you know, craft, guide and drive the business toward a, a major outcome, whether it's an overseas launch. So as you think about sourcing talent, do you look for very specific skills? I've been there, done that. I've helped a company to expand to overseas. Or do you go, you know what, that's not as important as some of the, just as long as I have a set of capabilities. Like, how are you thinking? You're thinking about a mix of like, I need someone who's been there, done that, along with, hey, I just find somebody who I know can gather requirements, work with, you know, those key stakeholders. So what's the balance, Ross, between specific skills and maybe soft skills as you think about staffing your team? Yeah, I think what's important is to always go back to what is the outcome for the program and how specialized are the skills you need to get there? And again, I want to use kind of two of my programs as an example here, because I think they're very illuminative. For the international program, the soft skills were much more important to us than the hard skills of having done an international launch before, because we have a lot of people internally who have expertise and have done that kind of international expansion before. And what we needed was somebody who could pull together all of these various pieces and help us prioritize it. Right, because like the needs of our accounting team and the resources that it'll take to accomplish what they want versus what our go-to-market team needs are a little bit different. We've got to have that same prioritization conversation within those functional groups. Versus a master data management initiative, well, we really hired for hard skills there. We wanted someone who had seen these programs successfully at large organizations. And what I would encourage people listening to this podcast to think about as they are trying to figure out who to match into these programs is that balance of what skills does your organization already have versus which skills are you trying to supplement with? Because that's going to tell you a lot about where you need to hire. And one of the things that I think we all as operations leaders in any scaling business to recognize is we can't be masters of everything. We've got to surround ourselves with staffs of people who have a variety of experiences to fill in those functional gaps and build these programs and then help them understand how to be culture how our technologies work or our environments work and what it takes to get things resourced and done, but then give them the creative space to drive those programs forwards. And that is the, like, to your core question of, of is it hard skills or it's soft skills? It really depends on that rigor of what does your team need right now? And if you aren't spending time thinking about that before you're posting your job rack, you probably should be, right? Like, that should be an active conversation your team has about where you need to put these people into these roles. Because operations at the end of the day, it was a catch-all field. And it can mean a lot of different things in a lot of different businesses. And so it's important your team defines the success for the role and the needs you have, and then goes and finds somebody that matches those needs, regardless of what their title might have looked like before. Yeah, that's fantastic. As you think about hiring for those those softer skills, do you look for and try to ascertain, is this person going to be someone that not just builds something, but could make changes as you go. How do you think about that? Or do you think yeah, about that? It's a fantastic question. I do think about it quite often. And, and ultimately, I like to make sure I have a sense of where a program needs to go and what our expectations are for a leader when they come in. 
because there are programs that we build that will be there forever where we need a rock star leader who's going to be able to build it into a department, help grow with the role, potentially hire leaders over them if the needs of the department scale out of their capability. But that having that bedrock player can be extremely valuable. There are other programs where, again, it's, it's necessity of the program that someone needs to go to flex and scale with it and that they have to be able to level up and grow and they need to have that ambition and drive. And I think the most important thing for us to do when we're hiring is to understand where somebody's ambition really lies. If you're hiring somebody for a role that you know they have to be pushed in scale and you're hiring a rock star into it, you're not listening to your team or the needs of your business. And you're going to end up in an uncomfortable place. And the part of the reason why I want to have this conversation, Rachel, is that operations hires aren't as strategically important. They're really expensive and they're really hard to onboard. Right? If you lose a year on a, on a player, it can materially impact the plan to execute in the business. And so making sure that you've got total clarity this person needs to grow into this role and have these responsibilities for the next two years. And if you aren't thinking about it and hiring it, you're going to put somebody in who's, again, like not going to want to flex into the place you really need them to be. And it's funny because like <laughs> ultimately what I'm saying is if you're an operator and you're going to hire, you need to have a real plan for what you want that person to do and how you need them. But like it can be really exhausting to take the time to think through all of these complexities before you post the role. So you have to think about future needs, make sure you're hiring for that. Part of my team right now is that we're the skunk works. We are building things that will likely spin off into other departments or other teams in the future. And that's awesome, right? That's an incredible mandate that part of what I've been able to prove in my tenure at Toast is I'm really good at founding teams and training leaders, putting them in place and then letting their culture run. The people that we hired to run the BDR team that I helped train and put there, still run that BDR team. Shout out, Brittany DeSantis. You know, like, really proud of where you are. Same thing with the sales operations team. You know, Nick, Lauren, Sam, Alex, you guys killing it all the time. But that ability to think about, like, are these people going to grow and flex into the leaders we need to own this program? If you don't have that forethought and hire, it's going to be really hard to then make sure that they can inherit that program from you and take it to the next level and where they need, where you need it to be. And again, like not every program has that need. That's not every single hire you have to make as an operations leader. But you should know if you're looking for somebody that's going to be able to grow into that director VP at some point if the program they're building is going to require it. You're thinking about the future needs of the business along with the individual's ability to adapt and change. And that combination is what has been part of your secret formula for finding and putting those folks in place. I'd say so. In terms of the finding who's going to be successful, but I think a lot of it also goes into how we train and enable these leaders. Because I think we spend a lot of time about trying to find the right person. I have maybe a spoiler, right? I actually think often with these operations, there's many right people. You're looking for dynamic problem solvers. And if the business goal is clear enough, there's probably a thousand paths to reach that outcome. And so as long as you in this interview are clear on this is what the outcome means, these are the true hard skills I need to get somebody to be there, and then those soft skills they need to influence us in the right direction, there might be a lot of different kinds of operators that could accomplish that goal in varieties of ways. And so it's then how do you bring them into your organization and let them find that path to success for themselves? And that onboarding process of how do you... How do you take somebody from a different organization or who might not have been in a direct strategic operations role and empower them to think this way? That's the real challenge and I think secret sauce of building a successful long-term operations team. 
which again, like maybe five and stage wisdom. I don't know if it's always that you, you have to find the perfect hire. I think it's about if you find the right person with the right mindset, you can train them to be successful in these roles. Does that resonate? Absolutely. And so if you can find some of those core capabilities and then have an awesome onboarding program, it allows you to move a lot faster in terms of finding the raw talent and building it internally. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'd even push that like a little bit further because if you hire the right person and you have no plan on how you're going to onboard them to your environment, they're still not going to be successful, right? Like in my opinion, if like you given the choice of an environment that's completely unprepared a hire and the absolutely perfect person for the role, kind of like kind of three quarters of the way perfect person, but an environment that's really ready to support them, I think the latter is going to be more successful than the prior. So how do you keep an eye on the performance of your team? Do you work from MBOs? How do you set up success criteria? And do you evaluate them against ladders in terms of their career growth? So we use an OKR model more than we use MBOs. I know we want to adopt MBOs across time, but right now we're very OKR focused. And I want to go back to something I was trying to explain before, which when we're hiring somebody into these roles, we know what success means for their program. And on day one, you can sit down with somebody and say, Rachel, here's what success or failure means. We have a data quality problem, and the data quality problem has to get better. We don't have a roadmap between these specific teams, and we need one. Well, we need to march and launch in this specific market by this specific timeline, and these are the mechanics we need built. And in creating that really clear metrics-driven or business outcome-driven result, you create a ton of clarity for somebody as they ramp up. Because again, what I, I've seen happen so many times is you are a really talented operator who knows more about a program than you might, and then you give them a specific product plan that says how they get it done. And that's wrong, right? As you bring these people in, start small, make the goal really clear, make the team they're working with really clear. Provide any documentation you can about the paths and processes that surround it and any context you can on the business decision-making and value because that seed of this is the goal, this is what success means, will give them the space and then go and create tools you need to hold them accountable. Because, you know, again, Rachel, like, I think part of what what is important to me is I'm not a micromanager, right? It's, I think, wrong to hire somebody with this kind of skill set and then say, this is also then exactly what I want you to do, right? It's like, no, no way. Right? Like, screw all that. It's okay, right? We need to make sure we hit this milestone in this timeline. Fill in the blanks, right? What I want you to be accountable to is by the end of your first 30 days in this role, I want you to tell me whether this role is realistic. I want you to tell me the discrete milestones or steps that I can hold you accountable to along the way. And I want you to tell me what other resources you need to get there, whether that's time, or it's technology, or people. And if it comes to the end of 30, 60, 90 days, you can't tell me that. That's actually a bigger problem, right? You're, you're not meeting my strategic objectives. And that's a much better way, I think, in bringing operators into your business because you're defining success based on what the program needs and then letting them take control of the incremental steps in between. And if you're hiring really talented people that know how to get this work done, one, they're going to be really excited by being managed that way. They're going to be more successful. And then two, critically, it's much easier to say, and hold them accountable to the goals you're setting because it's a mutual conversation, right? I need you to get here by this date. You've told me you want this. This is what you need to get done. And it's not happening, right? And help them recalibrate and build a plan that's both realistic and attainable. The other big tools that I think we have in our toolbox, aside from this kind of like bringing them into the planning process, setting clear business outcome related goals up front is in leaning on your broader team because 
my cardinal sin in the past has been making myself a bottleneck, right? I've said, here, you want to understand this? Put time on my calendar and I'll help you understand all the things I know about our business and what's broken. Because I love to talk about toast and I know so much that I can tell you about the things that are going on. But like, that's actually like it's a disservice, right? It's a disservice to these operations managers and leaders because they need to meet their customers, right? And if you're hiring them to be in charge of the MDM program or, you know, a go-to-market program and they're working with all the sales leadership, don't tell them the problem with sales. Make them do like 200 stakeholder interviews, right? Like they need to sit down with everybody they're going to be working with and know their pain and problems and then bake that into how they're planning their program to address those pain points. And you can reiterate to them, help them understand, but still force them to have those conversations. Because this comes to the last piece of it. It's not just about the stakeholder interviews and knowing your customers in terms of the like, what are they doing? Know how they operate. And again, I think different programs, different places, Right. If you're building something from the ground up, you're going to get a lot of time to define how at desk work is happening. But if you're coming into an organization from the outside and you need to drive change, take the shutter step in time to, and again, I'm going to just rephrase that slightly. If you're a leader hiring somebody to come in and influence an existing program, they've got a shadow at desk process. They should almost be able to do the job of anybody in the department they're supporting. And if they don't have that level of fidelity and understanding of the team they're working with, they're not going to be a good strategic partner for them. But those kinds of tools between, are we clear on the outcomes in the program? Are you a part of the planning process? Have you been given documentation? And have you been given access to the people? Will dramatically impact how somebody ramps and understands the impact and role they're supposed to have in the business. If you have those in place too, in this distributed remote world, you're in such a better position to manage your your teams. I agree. And look, I think that it's important for us and leaders to also always ask what we could be de- doing better and how do we grow? And listen, if you're listening to this podcast and you've been struggling to make the shift because you can't sit right next to your team and watch what they're doing every day, you need to acknowledge you're micromanaging your team. And that might be hard to hear. Sorry. But it is a reflection of that you are stuck in a tactical operations mindset. And if you want to grow as a strategic partner, you've got to learn to trust your team to fill in the blanks of their work in a way that might not be how you approach it. I it still drives me crazy looking at spreadsheets from other members of my team because it's not how I would have built the spreadsheet. But I learned a long time ago to like stop trying to tweak that because it's not a good use of my team's time for them to build a spreadsheet the way I want it to be built. It just has to do the thing the way it needs to. And like again, like taking that continuous improvement mindset, that education and onboarding mindset to yourself as a leader and being like, well, hold on a second. Like I can't run an operations team where a bunch of people need to do pretty discreet rote tasks unless I'm sitting right next to them and making sure they're doing it. Like, can they just send you an email then when they're done and be like, this number of successes, this number of failures, I'll tell you if I need help. Like, there's gotta be a way that you can figure out how to lead that way. Or if not, like, mm, there's some growth left for you, right? Or some some skills that you can develop to let go of that control of your team. Great advice. Yeah, do you think I just made a bunch of your uh, podcast listeners mad, Rachel? Am I going to get hate mail from this? Nah. No. So... Uh, I've got two standard closing questions I'd love to ask you, Ross. Unless, is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we go move to those? You know, the the only thing that we haven't talked about here in a really silent way is the, the role that empathy plays in all of this. The strategic operations, technical operations is a very unique perspective on the business. And it is a real bridge between strategic decision makers that won't be in the details and teams that live deeply, deeply in the details and how you effectively bridge those two functions. You've 
got to be so empathetic because there's inevitably going to be days where you need to sit down with technical teams and ask them to do work that they're stressed and they don't really have the capacity for or is half planned and the work still has to get done. And then on the other side, sometimes you need to stand up to very senior people in your business and say, we can't do this this way. And that takes a lot of courage and a lot of compassion because at the end of the day, you're telling people either they have to do something or that we can't do something that will impact their life in a much more direct way. And so as you're hiring, as you're training, consistently going back to the, we are a bridge, we're a conduit. We are part of the strategy in helping these teams understand one another's needs and the implications of decisions on one another. But we're not always the decision maker. And that we have to have a ton of compassion as we deliver these messages to people. And so as you're hiring operators, really looking for that, are they going to be able to deliver these messages in a way that will resonate to people? Do you think they have the courage and wherewithal to speak truth to power in your organization? And if not, are you ready to support and pick up those pieces of the job for them? Is that in the expectation of their job description? That's a really important piece of operations hiring and training because it's everyone has weaknesses on one sort or another of that equation. They're more comfortable with technical people or their stakeholders or their executives. And we have to even navigate all of them. It's terrific. I think of empathy and storytelling kind of going hand in hand, understanding their point of view and framing things and telling it in the context of how they're going to perceive it is, is super powerful. All right. So I have a couple of, uh, standard closing questions for you. The first is advice to someone who's just about to start in their first operations role. This is a really, really small community. It's a really small community. And so reach out to people. Again, I'll speak from personal place. I was recently featured on you know, HubSpot's Revenue Operations blog, and I'm one of their HubSpot professors. After I posted that, I've been reached out to by so many people trying to break into the operations community to just pick my brain and do that. Like, do that all day, every day. Do not be scared of anyone in this community. All of us want to talk. We love solving problems. We all get overly excited about talking about the implications of technology on our businesses. And that is the greatest resource that you have available to you, is the knowledge of a community that is there to support you. And in particular, because we are often smaller teams in a business that, particularly through hyperscale, may not have the same funding levels of support, you can lean on this community of outside people to figure out best practices and learn. And the more fearless you are in reaching out to that community, the faster you're going to ramp and accelerate. The other big thing, the other side of this is, again, operations and technology is a small community. It is easy to come into these roles and get very flustered and step on a lot of feet. I, myself, again, anyone listening, if I've offended you in the past, sorry about that. I've learned a lot through my career on how to not be such a jerk. I worked in restaurants for a while. I'm sorry. But <laughs> the real heart of what I'm trying to say is that all businesses are just collections of people, right? They're based in the relationship we have to one another. And that if you lose sight of that in a really tense moment, you're going to burn bridges with people that you will run into later in your career. And keeping that in mind as you're coming into these, this field early, both that it's a small community. And that means there's a ton of people that you can reach out to support or help. The other side, it's a small community. Don't be a dick about it because people are going to remember. Like both of those two things are true. And like there's a double-edged sword there that any junior operator coming in should just be thinking about and how they build these relationships and build their network. Perfect. And that's a good plug to uh, sign up for the Offstars Slack channel and come to Offstars events. We're going to have it in person again at the Mint during Dreamforce. And uh, 
it's a great networking event. It's a great, great community. But if you can't make it to the OpStars event, things like those Slack groups really work. Like I'm in all of those Slack communities. I post dumb questions constantly. And like that fearlessness of, of I need help. I'm looking for support. I'm just trying to learn. That's what's going to differentiate you and help you grow into very senior roles in these communities. Because you know I still get questions from people that are more senior than me and Toast about things that I might have done once or twice before that they haven't yet experienced. And that's okay. It's part of the dilemma and part of the the fun of these kinds of problem-solving fixer roles. That is the mission that we have at OpStars. We recognize that there's probably somebody out there that's already solved the problem you're facing. And if we can connect folks together in what is a, a small community, then we can all raise up our skills together. So thank you. That's perfect. And final question, who in the world of operations would you most like to take to lunch? Oh, that's a hard question. Right now, I'm going to say whoever the chief product officer is at Zoom, because, oh my God, I have so many notes. What is going on, guys? Your product from like a raw operational blocking and tackling is starting to hurt my team's efficiency. And we got to change something there. <laughs> Look, I think jokes aside, I think that their product is fascinating. I think it's at the corner of a bunch of things that are going on in the market. And I am very interested in how this combination of telephony, video is unlocking data for companies that they have never had access to before and the variety of partnerships in the ecosystem that are letting us have a tapestry of information about individual performance that we never had access to before. You know, through tools like Chorus and Gong, ExactVision, those kinds of, of call analytics vendors, that it's just going to keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And well, I have some direct feedback about the, the pain points that my team is experiencing. I also think that there's a real bridge that they're building between us that has now become an assumed part of our experiences. That is the cornerstone of like what we as operators need to think about. If something is part of your team's life every single day, we should care deeply about it, which is why Zoom Chief Product Officer, I am here to tell you all the ways that you are hurting my team's performance right now, and I need your help. So that's my number one draft pick today. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Ross. This has been great. Appreciate you sharing best practices and insights. My pleasure, Rachel. The Upstars podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing, sales, and revenue operations, head to leandata.com. And then make sure to search for OpStars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at OpStars and Lean Data, thanks for listening.